Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech, brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Graham McKenzie is the Chief Scientific Officer of Foremost, a Cambridge-based biotech company with a mission of drugging the undruggable using protein interference. I'm here with Graham McKenzie of Foremost. Graham, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me on, Tom. Of course. Um, and Foremost are on a mission to, to drug the undruggable, I understand. So tell us a bit more about that and about Foremost as an organisation and the, the work that you're doing here. Yeah, sure. So uh, here at Foremost, we're very much interested in uh, developing the techniques and the, the, the playbook, if you like, for how to tackle drug targets that we would currently um, regard as undruggable. So it's all about um, expanding the size of the druggable genome. Uh, how do we how do we move away from what is a fairly limited set of targets that uh, we could we currently think of as being druggable? How do we build the techniques to identify them, uh, and then to actually start going about how to how to drug those targets? So uh, our mission, if you like, is to expand what is a relatively small uh, druggable genome uh, into all known protein-protein interactions. We, uh, we want to be as bold as possible and we want to see if we can uh, understand all of those kind of key interactions that happen in protein networks that we might be able to drug. Mm -hmm. And without giving the, the family secrets away, of course, tell us a bit about how you're doing that. Yeah, we have a, a technique that we call protein interference or protein eye. Um, uh, and this is uh, not, not giving away the family, family jewels <laughs> here. This is all on our website. Um, yeah, our, our technique is to uh, basically use our uh, libraries of protein shapes uh, in our protein interference process uh, to carry out what is effectively dominant negative effector genetics in mm -hmm. mammalian cells. So we have massive libraries of what we think are very, hopefully, very cleverly uh, designed um, uh, peptide shapes that we express in mammalian cells, and we, we basically run phenotypic assays, mm -hmm. such as... Can uh, so killing cancer cells that carry activating KRAS mutations, for instance, is a is a very simple example. Can we identify those uh, those peptide shapes which are responsible uh, for causing those phenotypic effects? Mm -hmm. So really, it's all about associating a protein shape um, uh, with a phenotypic response, such as cancer cell death. Uh, we're very very the the timely technique which enables protein I, I guess is um, is NGS because all mm. of our libraries are barcoded essentially, and that's how we retrieve uh, the actual peptide sequence that was able to cause the phenotypic response via a, uh, uh, what, what a pretty well-developed um, uh, next-generation sequencing platform. So uh, without AGS, actually, so protein interference wouldn't have been a viable, viable technique. Okay, interesting. So now is the time to be doing it. Absolutely. I think uh, in the past, um, uh, people have attempted to carry, so functional dominant negative genetics has been well used in yeast mm -hmm. uh, and uh, model organisms uh, over, over for, for many years, but uh, without NGS, it's not really been achievable in mammalian cells. And that was the, if you like, the key, uh, the, the key technique that had to come along to enable this and foremost kind of uh, jumped on once we saw that was uh, that technique was working um, uh, and we've moved in that direction and used that as um, part of our protein inference platform. Sure, okay. And you touched on this earlier, but I suppose um, drugs that exist today are really all concentrated around a very small set of interactions that are that are fairly similar to each other and there's a, there's a huge world out there that we're not actually targeting right now or... 
commercially targeting. There's there's a lot of research going into targeting undruggable pathways or you know uh, areas of the genome that weren't previously accessible. Absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. The number of it's, it's quite surprising when you do the meta-analysis and you look at the actual number of kind of classes of uh, cellular proteins that mm -hmm. have actually been successfully trialled. And it's it, it's a tiny, tiny proportion of the number of proteins that are out there. And it's very repetitive as well. We see the same the same type of target, such as nuclear hormone receptors, being mm -hmm. drugged time and time again with just different chemotypes. So the actual kind of our understanding uh, from a chemogenomics point of view of the size of you know, druggable space right now, it's it's very small, um, and we need to find those techniques that, that break us out of that that small limited druggable space and enable us uh, to take on new challenges really, yeah. um, and to to make these challenges more likely to succeed. So to to lower the essentially the risk associated for uh, for any company, be it big pharma or small biotech, mm -hmm. to lower that risk again, uh, in any program for going against a, what would normally be regarded as a high-risk, undruggable target. So really that's the, that's the key thing that we think protein interference brings because by identifying targets that, that drive a particular phenotypic response, and because they're peptide shapes essentially, uh, we've already got access to, to the shape mm -hmm which caused the phenotypic response. And if yeah. we can find the target to which our, our peptide protein I-pro binds, then we've already got a bit of a bit of a chemistry foothold on that target because we understand some of the nature of the shapes uh, within the peptide that bind into the target. And of course, that makes the medicinal chemistry teams happy because mm -hmm. they've already got a little bit of information to start working with and they can, they can uh, I'm not even going to pretend to understand medicinal chemistry, <laughs> but they can, they can start to, to, to do their magic um, and start turning peptidic shapes into, into drug-like, I suppose. Sure. No, interesting. And your role as Chief Scientific Officer, tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about what you do every day, what takes up most of your time. Sure, yeah, happy to. Uh, so, um, so I'm CSO now, and I'm one of the founders of Foremost. Uh, I've only been the CSO for the last six months. Foremost, uh, we are in the fourth year of our existence now. So uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, in the first three years, it was pretty much all hands to the pumps, really, mm -hmm. uh, in building a biotech company right from the start. Um, so those we talked about our protein eye libraries. Um, all of that stuff needed to be built from the ground right. upwards. So. So for the last three years, really, I've uh, been more of a kind of a lab scientist, actually. Uh, but now that we are maturing, uh, we raised our Series A financing in uh, May of last year. Um, so as a maturing company, we've brought more people in and I've, um, I've moved into the role of, uh, of, of CSO uh, rather than um, kind of a, a laboratory-based scientist. Sure. So what's different about your role today, then? Uh, well, I'm not allowed in the lab anymore, <laughs> um, which is... Uh, I mean, to my mind, is a bad thing, but probably to my lab-based <laughs> colleagues is a good thing um, that I'm not allowed in there. So, yeah, my, my role here at Foremost is I've, I have two hats to wear, really. So I have an overall responsibility for, for the drug discovery part uh, of our program, uh, of, our, of our protein protein I platform. So uh, my background is more in drug discovery. So I have a responsibility here of once you've identified the targets mm. um, using, our, using our platform to actually start start drugging them to actually uh, start putting the molecules in the holes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, apart from that, I also have a kind of a role to play as CSO, a more traditional CSO role in overseeing the scientific strategy uh, of Foremost. And uh, I, I think I should be spending a lot of my time thinking about where, the, where we should be in six months mm -hmm. in terms of what therapeutic challenges we should be pointing protein interference towards. 
Yeah. Because as a company, we're in a position now where we've shown our platform can work. We can identify targets and we can start drugging targets that we've identified. Um, so now we have to think about, um, we, well, we've created quite a nice, quite a nice toy. Um, where should we go and play with it now? What are yeah. the therapeutic <laughs> areas in which we should play with our toys? So. Fair enough. And what do you see as the major, major targets for you? Oh, well, I mean, so uh, that's somewhat a little bit biased by the fact that, uh, so a lot of my background is in cancer and all of us sure. are founded foremost uh, with Ashok Venkataraman and Chris Torrance, uh, both of whom have uh, loads of uh, experience and expertise around the biology of RAS and its involvement mm -hmm. in cancer. So up until now, we've been quite focused on, on as you understandably, I suppose, on, uh, on RAS and cancer. Uh, in terms of where we, where we can move the platform, and we're very interested in neurodegeneration and ageing. Uh, I think we'd all agree that those are two areas where, with a, a, an aging, a, a, an aging population in general, where we need to start thinking about uh, finding new medicines, mm -hmm. uh, new targets to, to start drugging for what is an increasingly complex range of neurodegenerative disorders, um, uh, and really a large unmet um, therapeutic area. Right, yes. there. so a huge, ever-growing clinical need. Uh, so we're we're starting to think about turning our um, turning our platform in the direction of neurodegeneration at the mm. moment. And you think that the being able to target some of these new pathways, new interactions may may facilitate that? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts on this are so one of the, I guess to to wind back a bit of time and look back into the mm -hmm. mists there. So the the reason for protein interference um, is. It's all about finding, uh, to my mind, it's about finding the target, not just a target. Mm. So typically in the past, um, for instance, RNAi or CRISPR screens have been deployed uh, against uh, uh, cell-based models of a certain disease. Uh, and whereas in the past, once we'd done our CRISPR screens or our functional genomic screens, we would look at a list of, uh, essentially a list of the targets that right. fell out. And we'd probably chuck 90% of them away and concentrate on the 10% that actually we thought were druggable mm -hmm. based on these pre-existing um, rather dogmatic criteria of what we should be thinking about starting drug discovery programs. Yes. Protein is different in that um, that list, anything that comes back from uh, as, a, as a known kind of binder of one of our protein eye probes, a target of a protein eye probe, to our minds that is by definition druggable right. because it's been engaged by a shape. And therefore, engagement of that target by this shape causes a phenotypic response. So I think that um, uh, in neurodegeneration, where there's already been a, a dearth of targets anyway, mm. so not many targets have ever been identified, and even fewer of those have actually been classically druggable, I would think with protein I, what we would hope to do is really open up, open up those pathways and truly define mm. those key crucial nodes, the target on a pathway, not just a target that you thought that you could yes, drug because yeah. somebody else has drugged uh, a similar similar kinase in the past. Of course, which allows us to take sort of greater lateral steps rather than one step further. That's right. And yeah. I think our hope is that, um, as a, to bring it right back to the start of the conversation, our hope is that we'll be able to use Protein I to establish a playbook, if you mm -hmm. like, about how to start tackling these difficult targets. And I would hope that what we'd be able to do in the future is that a playbook will be, you know, disseminated and this, this will really open up um, opportunities for, for many, many, many different therapeutic, therapeutic areas. Yes. 
I'm always fascinated in uh, the the origins of companies and particularly sort of that that transition from it'd be good if to, to actually a, a living living breathing business. So can you tell us a bit about the early days of Foremost and the, the origins of it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so the the original concept of uh, trying trying to find um, the most important targets on a pathway rather than just a target on a pathway uh, comes from comes from a project that I worked on in biotech maybe 15 years ago, uh, where we had a, a very interesting molecule that had been serendipitously discovered that, mm-hmm. that had a very, very potent effect on uh, mesenchymal stem cell differentiation, mm-hmm. but it had been discovered serendipitously, um, so we never had the target. Uh, and of course, this right. means that you can't really do chemistry, because if you don't have the target, because you don't know what the molecule is engaging, then it's very difficult to advance that program, and, and we never managed to make the potency jumps that we needed for mm-hmm. in vivo efficacy, uh, despite the fact that in model systems, this was a, you know, it's an amazing molecule that had some really fundamental effects. Sure. Um, and so I think at that point, um, I started to think about, well, what are, what are better ways to do this? And it's not just dumping libraries of compounds onto cells, because the chances of you ever finding your target are very slim. Mm. What's, what's a better way to do this? And the, the concept, concept of protein interference was born based on uh, some really interesting publications uh, showing that uh, fr- from back in the day, really, from people like Gary Nolan, that showed that peptides could be used, albeit at kind of very low efficiency levels, right. um, to find targets in mammalian cells. So. So uh, the the origins of foremost lie in a lie in frustration actually you know, with a program from back in the day and I, the fact that I really don't want to have to do that again. I want yes. to have the want to have the target and I want to know that the target is absolutely associated with the phenotype. And it's at that point that you can start thinking about engaging engaging a full drug discovery program. Yes, of course. And then tell us about what's happened from there. So the the company came together with yourself and Chris and Asha because you. That's right. Yeah. Um, tell us about highlights, challenges, all the all the sort of ups and downs that come with Whoa, building a wow. business. Um, well, startup biotech, as I'm sure that you know, and probably many of your listeners know, is uh, it's a it's it's a warts and all time in the early sure. days. Yeah. Um, uh, I think. I mean, I, I personally really enjoy it. Um, that whole kind of concept of just everybody mucking in, all hands to the pump getting stuff done, just doing what you need to do in those early days to, mm-hmm. to get those get those data slides together to, to actually convince investors that what you what your company is going to do will work. Uh, I can remember in the very early days when uh, you know we had uh, uh, myself and Chris and, 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 uh, and Marcus and Jeff, all of us who are now part of the senior team, we were all in the lab plating cells and counting cells yeah. in the early <laughs> days. So... Uh, so I, I think that's great. I really enjoy that mm. that kind of the, the team the team dynamic that can come together in the early days of a startup by a tech company. And that's certainly what we had here at Foremost. Um, that's grown from that very kind of a uh, uh, very kind of nitty gritty kind of uh, everybody getting stuck in approach in the early days into we are thirty people now here at Foremost. Yeah. And we, we have our protein interference uh, platform um, in place, thanks to some, some great work from, uh, for, from our platform team here. Uh, they've done some amazing work to put all that together. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a process now. And I think now our challenge as a company is to start to think about uh, what, what the right disease areas that we should be pointing our process in the direction of. Right now. Yes, which is a very different set of questions, isn't it, from can we make this work to what's it going to work on? <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's... Those are the good times, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you can actually look at what you've built and then start to think about, well, where, you know, what should I point it at? 
that that's sort of is a that that that's when you know that you've got a process that works when uh, when you're starting to think about what can we do with it now. Certainly, yeah. And that, that's where we are as a company, and it's a nice position to be in. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about you a little bit. Um, I always like to hear about the journey, and of course, you know, um, our the, the core topic of our podcast is careers. So I always start by asking, tell us about. Um, your, your early memories of being interested in science and where that, that spark of engagement came from for you. Oh, blimey. So it's a very long time ago since <laughs> I was at school, Tom. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed science at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did um, my GCSEs and A-levels were all scientific, really. Um, I really enjoyed biology and chemistry, and I knew from yeah, pretty early on that I wanted to be a scientist. Um, so I did a, a biochemistry course at Bath, so uh, uh, and that was one of the, I was very lucky enough to be on a, a course that had industrial placements. Sure, yeah. So uh, so I spent some time out in industry, and my, my first placement um, from my biochemistry degree was uh, Organon Laboratories up in Scotland. Okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was really where I got the got the interest in drug discovery, really, because I was working on a drug discovery program. Mm-hmm. So I, I was that biologist at the end of the line who has to run the assays when the new compounds arrive from the chemists sure. uh, against the target. And yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a hugely exciting process to be part of, really, that kind of the, uh, as, the, as the excitement builds up about, you know, whether those are in that, out of those 10 compounds that you're testing today, is there going to be a nanomole <laughs> compound in that pot? I mean, that was a, a very kind of simple enzymatic target, right. but it was a great program, and that really gave me a gave me a sense that what I wanted to do really was uh, was to, to make drugs. Really, mm. um, I love science, um, but I my my personal kind of motivation within science is to is to, to really only work on translational programs that are going to turn into drugs eventually. Right. And I think it all really stems back to that time I spent as an industrial placement student being uh, super excited about what whether there was going to be a great compound in that set of 10. Yes. So was it always going to be an industry industry career for you? Uh, well, I did, yeah, I think so. Uh, so I did my PhD here in Cambridge right. uh, at the LMB, uh, but I came straight out of that to work for Novartis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, so yeah, I, I always wanted to be a, a, let's call it a translational biologist and to be working in drug discovery. Yes. Um, uh, much as you know, basic academic science is hugely important and you know we stand on the shoulders of giants when we when we work on great pieces of biology that come from academia for me the thing that gets me out of out of bed in the morning is the thought that we might be doing some experiments that are going to lead in five six ten years time to mm-hmm. actually new drugs mm-hmm. um, those are so it's the translational aspects that's always been my my driver really yes makes sense and so went to Novartis tell us a bit about the rest of the yeah so uh, after Novartis I had my first experience in startup biotech uh, with, a, with a company uh, well based here on the Bayram campus actually called uh-huh. Norantis and we were interested in, in, in modulating the notch pathway uh, for uh, for immunomodulation uh, so that was spun out um, from uh, from some great academic uh, research uh, Imperial College um, from John Lamb and Maggie Dalman that was a great company we did five years of, uh, of research, which I'm, I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, I came back into uh, into, into academia in the sense that uh, I was in an academic institution with Ashok Van Kitter Armand. Uh-huh. Uh, but I worked in teams. It was a drug discovery program that just happened to be run under the auspices uh, of an academic institute. Right, yes. And we had a lot of people in those programs who were industry trained and were drug discoverers. So uh, although we, we lived in a building, there was essentially an academic um, institute was very much an industrial program mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the idea was to develop drugs against um, undruggable protein-protein interactions. Um, some, some of those programs have been published. Some of those programs are, are, are now kind of being further explored um, in, uh, in deals with other companies. Right. So, uh, so I'm, I'm lo- looking forward to uh, <laughs> at some stage in the future, some of those molecules appearing in the clinic. Yes. And it was, uh, so during my time at Ashok, we actually got to, we got to think about how we might build protein interference. So how, rather than reading other people's papers about what protein-protein interactions we should be drugging, what can we do to go find them for ourselves? And that's mm-hmm. where the protein interference concept came from. And Ashok and I hooked up with uh, with Chris, I guess, five years ago now and started to float the idea of uh, making a company, making Foremost, yes. which would be a professional target identification and drugging company. Yes. Uh, and, and eventually that's that's what we did by uh, convincing some of our investors that this would be a, a good a good solid investment and would really change the nature of drug discovery. And that's hopefully... Hopefully, where we are now, an exciting, an exciting challenge. Um, so you've seen drug discovery in quite a variety of different environments, from you know big pharma and Novartis to, to an academic leaning institute um, and biotech companies in between. Um, what are the things that? And this is always a, a challenging question to answer. So take that. <laughs> what, what are the things that you wish you knew then that you know now? So you know, if you if you were to go back and see that that guy coming out of his phd mm. what, Ooh, what are the that, things that you would tell him that is a good question uh i think that's kind of uh perhaps the best way to answer that is uh, to think about how i how i see myself mm. now if you like and i think that um drug discovery requires people like myself um to be kind of jacks of all trades master of none i think you need to have seen a lot of different therapeutic areas right yes a lot of different areas of uh, biology and drug discovery and so i think that my my advice would be to that to that young graham um, uh, <laughs> early stage of his career would be to you know get involved in as many different programs and as wide a breadth of programs as, as possible because I really think that as, as translational biologists, that um, the thing that really helps us is, is to have that breadth of experience, right. is to have seen those, those different plays happening in, in different therapeutic settings over the years and to almost kind of store that information away, store that experience away mm-hmm. um, and think about where programs succeeded and probably more importantly, where programs failed in the past so that yeah. you can see those kind of pivot points um, when you when you uh, when, when they occur in the program mm. you're running at the moment, so I think I think my advice to to that, that much younger and less grey haired Graham would be uh, <laughs> to you know, really soak up as much as possible as quickly as you can because I really think in drug discovery that that breadth of experience is is crucial. Get get your fingers in as in as many different pies as possible. I mean. Yeah, I think the the traditional sort of walls between the different sciences and between science and technology and, and everything like that, they're, they're crumbling those walls, aren't they? I hope so. I think that um, certainly the, the current trend towards industry looking much, much more towards um, academia for high-quality, validated targets mm. for, for, in, well, for collaborative drug discovery opportunities or in-licensing. I think that's a good one. I think that's a, a model yes. which, which uh, will, will definitely... Prove in, in ten years' time, they'll reap, reap dividends. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And outside of the scientific skill set, which obviously you've broadened since since graduating, you know, and I think you you come out of your PhD, don't you, with a with a very specific focus and a lot of knowledge about a very specific area, and then gradually 
that expands outwards and you, and you learn the context. But outside of the scientific knowledge that you now have, what are the most important things that you've learned to operate in a commercial environment or to work in a business with other people? Or you know, what are the things that have been most important to you? Yeah, okay, so maybe, maybe uh, to think about how to operate in a commercial environment first. Mm. I, think, um, I think startup biotech is a great place to learn uh, the, the simple principle that um, there's not enough time or money available uh, <laughs> in biotech for you to follow all of those different leads. So I right. think you have to, you have to focus. Um, fail fast. I mean, that's a big pharma mantra, but I think it's equally applicable uh, to startup biotech as well. If, if something's not looking good, fail it quickly, kill it yes. quickly and move on to the next thing because there is not enough money in the bank or enough time for you to follow all of those different leads. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one, of, that's one of the commercial kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess a commercial kind of a moral that I've picked up over the yeah, years okay. to, to fail fast. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of the actual way that uh, biotech works, I think, uh, I think I've, uh, I think, it's most appropriate. Uh, biotech is most suited for people who really like working in a, in a team environment. And I think over the years, I've certainly got much better at, at being a, a team environment kind of person. And, and probably the most important thing is to learn in uh, early startup biotech how to build those teams, right. how to bring the right people in and nurture those teams and mentor, mentor your colleagues so that they, they grow in that same, in that team-orientated kind of sense. Mm -hmm. because there are uh, in the early days of biotech there's just not enough there aren't enough people around right yes. so everybody has got to, has really got to pull together uh, to to get the job done so i think um, i think that's an important aspect as well that everyone can everyone can get better as a as a team worker i think and expand those skills of course um and then you you mentioned earlier that you were very clear from quite early on that the career in drug discovery was where you wanted to go so now you, you're later on in that career in drug discovery. You've been involved in lots and lots of different projects. What is it now that, that gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you What are you excited about these days? Yeah, well, I think it's very much what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. uh, foremost, actually, with protein interference. I think it is um, all about trying to find more targets, learning how we take on more targets right now. I, I, I can have a, an increasing healthcare burden, I think, and within sure. the population, I think everyone would accept that. And I think if we can we can use our protein interference platform that we've developed here to take those, I don't know, 500 targets and, and expand it to, to 2,000 and to bring other people on board as well who look at what we've achieved at foremost um, and say, well, you know, maybe that protein-protein interaction is druggable. Mm. And maybe I will think about going off that and starting a program. I think that that's what I would like to achieve. I'd like to have a... a been involved with my foremost colleagues here in building that playbook that means that other people will take on the challenge as well to yes to make to de-risk those projects if you like that will mean other people will take on the challenge much as much as we have because uh, there is only a limited amount of druggable space and it's going to run out at some stage of course we're always going to need more more healthcare solutions sure and i think you know what we see biotech as a whole and what we see in the UK specifically is quite an innovative time of exploring these new new pathways and approaches. Um, what do you see out there that, that's really interesting? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's, uh, the, the, it is a really exciting time right now. I mean, I think what's very exciting at the moment is uh, the chronomid-based approaches mm -hmm. um, uh, to actually, for, for catalytic targets, the ability to 
you know, just uh, make a small dent in the amount of enzymatic activity by degrading a small proportion of the target, it's one of those situations where um, uh, you get a lot of bang for, for your buck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are those are key technologies that are emerging right now, and I think that's a hot space. Um, uh, certainly, it's something that, that we we have our eye on here, um, and I think that will be there'll be. That those guys will be pulling up trees, I think, uh, yes. in the next few years, and there'll be some really exciting stuff coming out. Um, obviously, CRISPR is a great target ID technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, again, there would you know, brilliant work being done with CRISPR, uh, but of course, you're still at that problem we talked about at the start, whereby you get a list back, and if it's right. not kinase or a GPCR or an iron channel that's on your, on your list, you tend to walk away from it, yeah. understandably. Um, so, but yeah, obviously CRISPR is going to be uh, CRISPR as it gets more and more refined, um, and some of those, some of the new variations of the Cas9 are looking super selective now. I think that that will be uh, that will be in a, a very important area for for target ID as well, mm-hmm. uh, alongside protein interference, of course. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, as I suppose a, a kind of final thought, I guess um, you know if there are people out there listening to this who are who are very early on in their career or thinking about a career in industry, um, the one of the most common pieces of feedback I get back is that you know in the long run what your starting salary is or, or what the, the benefits package was or your job title, actually those aren't the things that you're going to remember. It's going to be the moments that you remember. So yep. can you give us just one highlight so far that, that really sticks in your mind of your career today? Oh, well, I think actually to, well, first of all, I, I, I do agree that that's mm-hmm. um, the message that you should send forward to everybody at the start of the career. I mean, don't, don't worry about like your job title or your pay packet. Um, I, I think that if you want to get into drug discovery, get in early, see as much as you can, get involved in as much as you can from as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's uh, once it's, it, it experiences everything really, I think, in uh, Drug discovery and sure. really being able to, to see a lot of different lot of different programs is only going to hold you in good stead for your future career. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I I would actually say I mean this sounds a bit biased because obviously because I'm going to give you a foremost example right now. Uh, That's but, okay. It's your stage. It's yeah, your stage. <laughs> but, but I think I, I think probably the the most kind of breathtaking kind of point so far in my, in my career has been uh, when the, the first exemplification with our protein interference work that that we could identify meaningful targets mm-hmm. um, in, in a cancer setting in this way. And we could take our pr- uh, platform all the way from, from the start, which is a, essentially a, a library of peptide shapes through a phenotypic assay and then identify the target, and then actually take that um, that area of the target down to a very small region of, pep- uh, of amino acids, mm-hmm. a druggable region of um, uh, amino acids. I think, I think that was a... A key point, I think, and uh, that, that's the kind of point when you want to go off to the pub and celebrate with colleagues. So. <laughs> it was I a mean, good night, was it? <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, I think most of us who work in drug discovery, I think that, that really the ultimate thing will be to actually get a get a molecule into clinic and have it doing some good. I mm-hmm. think uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll I'll be involved with a program at some stage. We'll do that. I mean, that's certainly. Uh, Certainly, my my ultimate kind of dream, I think, to have been a bit of part of a program that actually makes a difference clinically. Yes, well, protein interference gives you a great vehicle to to do so. I, I really hope so. Uh, fingers crossed. Graham, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks very much, Tom.
Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.